The following sermon is from the archives of Dr. Stephen Olford. It was preached during his distinguished ministry at Calvary Baptist Church in New York City. Our sermon today, The Great Omission. Our text, James chapter 4, verse 17. Now, here is Dr. Stephen Olford. Let's bow together in prayer. Just one quiet moment before we open the Word of God. What is your life? It is but a vapor which appeareth for a little while, then vanisheth away. Young person, older one here tonight, in these tremendous days in which we're living, with lawlessness abounding on every hand, with civilization threatened, with doubt as to what shall happen on the morrow, what is your life? Can you honestly say that it's found tonight in the center of God's will? Are you absolutely at rest that your life is one of total commitment and obedience to God? If there's any doubt about it tonight, oh, my friend, I ask that you give heed to what the Spirit of God has to say, and with resolution and courage obey. Dear Lord, breathe upon these closing moments of this testimony service and speak to each of our hearts, not least to the preacher himself. And as we leave this place, may it be with a total dedication to thy will to live for thee, to make our lives count for thy glory and our generation. We ask it for thy dear name's sake. Amen. I want you to turn to the epistle of James and chapter 4. We break into our series, God's Answer to the Burning Issues of Today. Last Sunday night, you remember, we were speaking of God's answer to juvenile delinquency. But tonight is our baptismal night, our night of testimony. And with reduced time, I just want to bring a closing message to emphasize the words of testimony that we have listened to so radiantly and poignantly presented. And I want to speak for a few moments on what I'm going to call the Great Omission. I started out tonight by talking about the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's the Great Commission. But alongside of that, to keep in balance truth, I want to speak for a few moments on the great omission. And I know no verse that sets this forth as the closing verse of our reading tonight. In James 4 and 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Only a glance at this context reveals that the good mentioned in our text here is the Lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of your life. And failure to relate that Lordship to every area of your life constitutes the greatest omission in the world, the greatest omission in Scripture. To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. For ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live, and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. For to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So often we're led astray by thinking that the only sin that God takes cognizance of is transgression of the law, the deliberate, willful violation of that which constitutes God's holy law. But as a matter of fact, this text teaches that to sit back and do nothing is to sin just as gravely. In other words, if I were to go across to the railway tracks yonder 
and see a great crack in one of the rails, and know very well that without reporting that crack it could lead to devastation, destruction, and loss of life, and to sit in my chair and to do nothing about it, and then learn next morning from the television, from the radio, and from the newspapers that a colossal crash had taken place and hundreds of lives had been disturbed, and not only disturbed but destroyed, would be to sit just as grievously as if I myself had created the wreck. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Our Lord Jesus Christ told a number of parables to prove this principle. He told the story of the talents, and he described men who were given talents to use. One man had so many, another so many, and one man was given a solitary talent. And because he thought his one talent couldn't be compared to his brethren who had more than he, he didn't do anything about it. He wrapped it up in a napkin, a sweat cloth to be exact, the sweat cloth that the laborer used to wipe his brow. And wrapping that talent up in a sweat cloth, he buried it in the ground. When his master came back and discovered he'd done nothing about it, he condemned him. Why? Because he knew to do good and did nothing about it. Christ told a story about the Good Samaritan, and he described the priest and the Levi, who went past a broken piece of humanity and did nothing about it, social unconcern. They went around the religious activities, doing the common task and the daily round, as they'd always done, but bypassed human need, stark human need, facing them. And Jesus condemned it. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. To him it is sin. Jesus told that vivid story of Dives and Lazarus, the rich man and the poor man. And the rich man died and he went to hell. Why? Because he violated the law? Because he was involved in civil disobedience? No. Because he knew of a man who was in desperate need and he ate sumptuously day by day at his table and did nothing about human need. And he went to hell. Why? Because he knew how to do good and didn't do it. And so we could apply it to every area of life. The great omission, and I suppose one of the greatest problems of our day, is what I was talking about the other evening when I spoke of God's answer to onlookerism. And I used as my opening illustration a story of 38 witnesses who watched a woman stab three times and until she breathed her last and couldn't be saved. Then somebody picked up the telephone to ask the police to come for help. A man who sits back and says, I'm not involved. After all, it's nothing to do with me. Why should I be involved? It's none of my business. But he knows to do good and doeth it not. He sins just as grievously as the worst violator of a known law. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to show from the context how this principle applies to three things in your life. What is the great omission then? What is this sin of which the Bible speaks? First of all, it is failure to relate the Lordship of Christ to the salvation of our lives. That's where we start. That's basic. Failure to relate the Lordship of Christ to the salvation of our lives. For ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? James is telling us here that there is only one person who can destroy or save your life. For it's in the sovereign providence of God to destroy or save your life. 
Now, Jesus Christ underlined this. He underscored this in his ministry. He said, don't fear the man who can touch your body. And when he's touched your body, even if he stabbed you, he has nothing more to do because he can't touch your soul. He can only touch that which is external. Fear not him that is able to destroy your body and then has nothing more to do. Fear him rather who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Fear him. But that same God, who has every right in heaven to do as he will with his creatures. For shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? That same God is not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want your destruction. He wants your salvation. But that salvation is dependent upon your submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's why it says, You ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live. Why? Because he is the one who is able to save. The Bible reminds us that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I want to say that the greatest need of your life basically is salvation. The greatest need of a home is salvation. The greatest need of society is salvation. The greatest need of our country is salvation. And until a man knows what it is, to experience God's mighty, cleansing, saving work. I'm going to tell you all the squalor and all the sin and all the desperate need even of poverty in our country will never, never, never be solved. I was talking to one of the greatest authorities on this just the other day, had two hours with him over the lunchtime. He told me of a place down in Harlem that he's just visited that has been taken over as a new housing project and new homes, new bedrooms, everything has been completely and utterly provided. And in that one stretch of the road where everything is new, there's more drug addiction, there's more sin than there ever was before the housing began. Why? Because I'm telling you, you can't change society until you change the individual. Professor Samuel Zwemer that I've quoted often here said, if a man goes out to change society, he is an optimist. But the man who goes out to change society without changing the individual is a lunatic. Now I want to ask a very simple question here tonight before we go any further. You don't earn the right, you don't earn the right, whoever you are, to predict or even to promise a change in our present generation unless you know a change in your own life. Have you ever submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Have you ever bowed at the cross and said, O oh God, thou Son of God, thou Son of Man, thou Savior of the world, I'm a bunk, bankrupt, beat, defeated individual. My life is known to thee, my life is known to myself, and apart from your cleansing blood, apart from your resurrection life, I'm a beaten, defeated, bankrupt sinner. Lord, save me, save me now. And the Bible says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, failure to relate the Lordship of Christ to your salvation is sin. For to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If you bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in the area of your salvation, but very quickly, let's move on to my second point, the great omission. The sin of omission is not only failure to relate the Lordship of Jesus Christ to the salvation of your life, but secondly, failure to relate the Lordship of Christ to the duration of your life. To the duration of your life. For not only is salvation mentioned here, but the duration of your life. Wherever ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. The duration of your life. 
Failure to relate the Lordship of Christ to the duration of your life as well as the salvation of your life constitutes sin. Because I want to tell you, I care not how old you are. I care not how young you are. There is a duration, a limit set upon that life of yours. And I don't suppose I've ever, ever faced a time in my life, and I don't suppose you have, when life is so uncertain. This friend I was talking to just the other day told me of how he was walking through the streets of Harlem in his burden and concern for those beloved people wanting an answer and a solution. And three times, three times he practically lost his life. But you haven't to be in Harlem, you can be right in 57th Street. You haven't to be in 57th Street, you can be in a taxi. There is no place that can be called safe today, no place. There is a limit upon that life of yours, a duration upon that life of yours. And there are two things I want to say about the duration of life. There's, an, there's a significance about its appearance and there is a shortness about its experience. A significance about its appearance. It appeared for a little while. Appeared for a little while. No life comes into this world without the permission of God, however that life came into the world. Thus, whatever method to produce that birth is always a miracle and ever will be a miracle. The gynecologists and doctors and specialists of today still regard all birth as a miracle. You came into this world as a miracle and you appear for a little while and your appearance in the world is significant. It's significant. And I'm going to tell you it's so short, it's so short, it must be significant. I cannot what your talent is. It may be preaching, it may be singing, it may be as an instrumentalist, it may be as a business executive, it may be an educator, it may be a housewife. I cannot what it is. That life appears for a little while. And when you've gone, what you lived for and how you lived is going to make its contribution forever to the time in which you lived. But you can't recall one day. You can't. Every moment's got to count. Bob Straton sang tonight only one life to offer. It's a simple little melody, a haunting little melody with very profound words, if you think of them. My wife and I chose that hymn for our marriage ceremony. It was sung as a solo. And I'll tell you why. Because they're based upon, that hymn is based upon words that transformed my life. As a young man of 21, having thrown off the yoke of discipline, not desiring the religion of my parents, having set my face as a young agnostic to live my own life independent of anybody or any church, I found myself up against it. And when brought to the very brink of death with only two weeks to live, the words that came burning in a letter from my father were the words, only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. And I'm telling you, I had read enough philosophy. I'd read enough Bible. I'd read enough history to know only that which is eternal abides. I could recall my father saying that the great text of the evangelist D.L. Moody, the great American evangelist, was this, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. I was so interested the other Saturday hearing Bobby Richardson behind this very desk tell a packed church of boys and girls here that what started the stirrings in his own soul that brought him to a commitment to Jesus Christ was standing in the cemetery and looking at the tombstone of his own father on which were inscribed those very words, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last.
There's a significance about the appearance of your life. It comes and it goes, but what do you leave behind? What contribution are you making to your generation? But with that significance of appearance, there is shortness of experience. It appeareth for a little while, then vanisheth. Like a puff of smoke, like a morning mist, like a puff of steam. It's there and it's gone. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I think one of the most humiliating and searching things that haunts me continually is to look around at my own generation, fellows I went to college with, fellows I went to seminary with, who are now in their graves, many of them younger than I, heart attack, God. And I think of four or five right now I knew so well and worked with who are on their beds. They'll never rise again, humanly speaking. Life is so short. It's so short. It's so transient. It's so pass. There is a sense in which I'm right in saying this congregation tonight will never meet exactly the same way with the same pattern. The very law of probability teaches me that before next Sunday night, we should have broken this pattern. And for all I know, many of you will be in eternity. There isn't a man who can stand up and say, I will be here next Sunday night. You can't say it. You're a fool if you do. And I'm going to tell you that the sin of omission is not only failure to relate the Lordship of Christ to your personal salvation, but failure to relate the Lordship of Christ to the duration of your life. Not only the salvation of your life, but the duration of your life. It's short. But lastly, and just briefly, I want to say that there is another message here. The sin of omission is not only failure to relate the Lordship of Christ to your salvation, the salvation of your life, the duration of your life, but thirdly, the vocation of your life. The vocation of your life. Go to now, ye say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. Ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or do that. Jade is speaking here to the well-known traders of his day that represent the busy world, the workaday world of 1968, the very hour in which we live. He speaks of three things. He speaks of planning. He speaks of trading. He speaks of talking or boasting. That's the language of the merchant man. That's the language of the professor. That's the language of the schoolboy. That's the language of the housewife. I care not who you are. You wake up in the morning, you plan your day, you go down, you do your trading, you buy your bread and your butter, you bring it home as a housewife, you sit down and you talk on the telephone, you boast of what you've done, you rejoice in what you've done, and you don't take God into account. Talk to a young schoolboy here and you plan your day, you think of your work, you think of the games you play, you think of the trading you've done with a schoolboy, a penknife for some other commodity, you come back, you talk about it, it's life, it's the cycle of life. The executive, he plans his week, he sits at his desk, he trades, he talks. There it is, the plan, the trade, the talk, the cycle of life. And says the man of God, Failure to relate the Lordship of Christ to your vocation, that is to your planning, your trading, to your talking. Failure to do that is sin. Leaving God out is sin. And I'm concerned tonight not only about your salvation, I'm concerned tonight not only of the duration of your life, I'm concerned tonight about the vocation of your life. Is God in your planning? 
I want to remind you that God has a plan for every life. The greatest discovery I ever made was that God had a plan for the life of every man or woman who will bow to the Lordship of Christ. For we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has before prepared that we should walk in them. Before he flung the worlds into existence, before he made this universe with all its intricate mechanism, he planned for that life of yours. The omniscient God is concerned in that life of yours. He's interested in your trading. I care now what that trading is. Whether it's in preaching or singing or selling potatoes, whatever it is, I want to tell you that he's interested. And what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And he's interested in your talking. To whom are you giving the glory? When you rejoice and talk about it, is God in it? Is God in it? Is God the very heart of your conversation and your talking and your rejoicing? Or is God clean left out of all your deliberations? Every thought and every word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof at the day of judgment, said Jesus Christ. Is the Lordship of Christ related? to your vocation. Is it, or should I say, is he? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. We're a congregation of people here tonight, reverently, intelligently, worshipfully, listening to a preacher. In a moment I shall dismiss this service, and you shall leave these hallowed walls, this sanctuary, into the world outside. But I'm going to say something. You can go out from this place having sinned the most serious sin the Word of God describes. Do you know what it is? To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And you say, what is that sin? What is that sin? I'll tell you, failure to relate the lordship of Christ to the salvation of your life. Secondly, failure to relate the lordship of Christ to the duration of your life. Thirdly, failure to relate the lordship of Christ to the vocation of your life. So whether it's the salvation of your life, the duration of your life, the vocation of your life, you have to answer to God. You are responsible to God. And there's only one place to settle that, at the foot of the cross, where you recognize not only the Saviorhood, but the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Now I'm going to tell your congregation going out, Admitting his lordship in each area that I've described tonight is going to make a bigger impact, I'll tell you, a bigger impact upon the world outside than all the poor matches in the country. For I want to tell you this, that ultimately it's the dynamic of God that's going to change our country and not the machinations of Satan or the, manipula the manipulations of men. But I want to ask you tonight, are you prepared to say, Lord of every thought and action, Lord to send and Lord to stay, Lord in writing, speaking, giving, Lord of all things to obey. Jesus Christ, I own thee, Lord of my life, in all the saving, redeeming power of thy cross. Thou art Lord of my life, Lord of the salvation of my life, Lord of the duration of my life, Lord of the vocation of my life. Be thou Lord, be thou Lord now, here, in this place. You say, supposing I don't do that, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Let us pray. One quiet moment. Is Jesus Christ Lord of your life, my friend? I mean Lord of all. Is he Lord of the salvation of your life? Is he Lord of the duration of your life? Is every moment of your life under his control? Is he Lord of the vocation of your life? Your planning, your selling and buying, your boasting, your talking? Will you make him Lord tonight?
We've watched a baptismal service tonight. It's the outward expression of a life of absolute obedience to the Lordship of Christ. I wonder how many here have not been baptized. Salvation includes baptism. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Have you made him Lord? If not, just do that now. In the reverent quietness of this moment, say the great word of the ancient church. Jesus Christ is Lord. Make that your prayer. Jesus Christ is Lord. Give him unquestioned sway and authority in that life of yours. Dear Lord, seal, we pray thee, every true response to the preaching of thy truth. Grant that tonight may be one of the glorious demonstrations of the response of men and women to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We ask it for his dear name's sake. Amen. This is David Olford. You have been listening to a message from God's Word delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen F. Olford, who went to be with the Lord in the year 2004. If you wish to learn about our online resources or learning events at the Institute for Biblical Preaching, our web address is olford.org. That's O-L-F-O-R-D dot org. You also may want to benefit from our online video training on expository preaching, which can also be found on our website. Thank you so much for listening.